morning, everyone, and welcome. My name is Piero Mardesic from Addicted to Grow, and we are here today with the amazing Nathaniel Bibby. Mate, welcome. Hi, everyone. I'm uh, stoked to be here. The whole idea stemmed from when I started to write my bio uh, on a book that I'm writing in regards with Conquer Your Uncomfortable, Unleash Your Potential. I started to write out my zero to 21. When I started to write out my zero to 21, I realized that late 30s, I overcame an addiction to attention seeking, being liked, which stemmed from um, pornography addiction at the age of 10 and, and then that carried out throughout all of my teenage years and, and hiding behind the fear of being truly found out that I was actually afraid to just talk to women and ask them out and hiding behind that kind of thing. Even in business, my business career excelled because I could hide from what was going on behind the scenes, which in a way is almost like a double-edged sword and a blessing in disguise. So when, when you think about that, if you go back to your boyhood, there may or may not be any struggles or adversity or addictions, but what was it like when, when you were growing up? Like, and let's go back to, say, the age of, say, five or six. Hmm. Okay, sure. Uh, thanks for sharing that with me, by the way. Uh, you know, I appreciate your vulnerability. Look, um, you know, I have an interesting background. I, I was born in England and um, when I was five, you know, I, I've figured this stuff out later, but when I was five, my parents were going through financial troubles and, you know, credit cards maxed out, mortgage not being paid. And my dad was an entrepreneur from a very poor family. Um, first business was, you know, doing a bakery round and it was learned that if, you know, you could do that, you could also be knocking on the doors selling life insurance. And he, he started a financial services business. And I think he had somewhere around 15 salespeople. And then, the, you know, there was a big crash. And um, so everything's maxed out. And, and, you know, coming from the background that he did, he didn't really have the mentors around him to go to and seek advice. So he decided to go to mm. a uh, like a club, you know, where wealthy individuals hang out. And he, he spoke to this guy at a, <laughs> in a suit at the bar and he said to him, he said, you look like a very successful man. If you were in my shoes and you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go to make money and do business? And he said, Hong Kong. And so my dad spent what little money he had on a flight to Hong Kong, one-way flight. And, um, you know, for, from a childhood's perspective, I, I thought dad had left. You know, I was like, where's dad gone? You know, mm. but, but three months later, um, you know, my mum had uh, tied up all the loose ends in England he managed to repay all the debts. He flew us all over to Hong Kong. We had a five-story house on the beach wow. that we moved into. Um, so he managed to solve those problems relatively quickly. Um, and then, you know, being in Hong Kong, uh, the uh, like my parents had an idea about, you know, the, the standard of education. Sorry, that's Marshall in the background. Um, <laughs> stand, standard of education that, that we would receive. And, you know, boarding school was quite a prestigious thing. And, and you know, my mum always thought, you know, if I can afford it, I'll send my kids to boarding school. But rather than go back to England, which is quite far away, I decided to come to Perth 
Um, and I do feel like I had a big say in the decision, you know. Um, and so when I was 10, I started boarding school in Perth. So, yeah, I mean, that's why that's, that's how I grew up, a very international lifestyle. Um, I guess the, the next biggest thing that impacted me was when my parents got divorced when I was 14. Um, they all play a role, you know, in shaping yeah. the man that I've become. Yeah. So when you go back to that moment when you thought dad left, um, you know, were there any, have you ever thought deeply about this? Have you ever thought to yourself, hang on a minute, what does that mean about me? Did you go through any of that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, as, as you're probably aware, I think we've talked about this before, PJ, I've done mm. a lot of personal development. Um, yep. the, the event that had the biggest impact me was, on me was the first time I went to see Tony Robbins live. Yep. And, and um, I yeah, went back to that moment in a closed eye exercise and realized that I had some abandonment issues that I hadn't dealt with. And mm. he, you know, Tony does a technique called timeline therapy where you go, yeah, you go before the event, you go after the event from, from a overhead perspective and uh, kind of long story short, I left with a perspective that, it, you know, I wasn't left. Um, sometimes when people leave it's so that they can rescue, you know, my dad was actually doing it because he loved me and it uh, gave me a, a, a I don't know, it just gave me a sense of calm, I guess, after experiencing that. And uh, I think I've got a much better relationship with my father. And, you know, I've got, had similar things with other members of family. Uh, I think when you get older, you know, you, you it's time to take responsibility for those, uh, the resentments and things that you carry around with you. And, mm. to, and it uh, benefits you in the long run. I mean, it leads to happiness, really. Yeah. And I just want to share with the audience this idea of timeline therapy, because what what Nathaniel spoke about is something that I'm uh, a practitioner of, which is which is timeline therapy taught actually through uh, Tony Robbins uh, programming. So what what you do is you, you pick an event in your life or the event actually comes to you and it's an event that's actually got significant emotional attachment to it. Uh, so so for the audience, we don't we don't remember memories. We remember emotions that are attached to the memory or the event. So in those moments, it's usually about like a three-part story, which is what actually happened, what did you make it mean to yourself, but what was it actually about? So when Nathaniel was talking about timeline therapy and looking before the event and above the event and sort of in front of the event, what actually happens is you actually find the truth behind that and at that moment, whether it's emotional or, sorry, usually it's emotional, and what we do is we make up a story which is a default or a coping mechanism that we then create and believe. So very familiar um, with the... You, um, you just made me think of something else, PJ. Uh, as, a as a result of doing that, uh, Tony did another exercise after that, uh, which was your earliest memory. Mm. And my earliest memory prior to going to that event was when I was five years old, my dad left. And when we did this exercise, my earliest memory, I could literally remember when I was two years old, my, my dad gave me a toy fire engine when my sister was born because he thought, because my sister would be getting all of the attention that he would give me a gift. And apparently I just threw it on the floor because I wanted to meet my sister. And I said, I called him up during the event. I said, dad, when Camilla was born, did you give me a toy fire engine? And he said, how the hell can you remember that? That was my, so my earliest memory went from being a traumatic one to being a, a really, um, a really good one. So that, that, this is so impactful right now for the audience to hear. When, when we think about our lives, we go, we'll automatically think of uh, struggles are usually, struggles or pain are usually the first that come up. One, because they're the most deepest, 
rooted emotional pain or emotional memory, which the emotions attach to that and anchored into our into our memories. So, Nathaniel, this is really this is going to be really good to just to play with this right now and and for the help of the audience. So, when you actually did that work during this event, what was the benefit again when you walked away? Um, just like what, what was the happy what was the happy part you took from it again? Um, I, I'm trying to remember. I know what the biggest benefit was of going to the event. I'm not sure if, it, if it's a direct result of of that particular exercise or not. I'm trying to think because um, you know what? Uh, yeah, I mean, what what's happened is I think up until that point, I was spending a lot of my well, yeah, I made a lot of my decisions really um, based on seeking the approval of my father. I, I love my dad. He's great. He, he's a legend. A absolutely love him to death. But that is never going to happen. I'm never going to get the approval at the level that I wanted it. So I was chasing something that was pretty much guaranteed to make me miserable. You know, so so this is this is really intriguing. So if you're obviously if you're listening to the audience, when these things happen, obviously I want to share the best I can to my psychological training. So what's actually happening here in this moment is what is Nathaniel's talking about an event that he had significant emotional attachment to, which was painful. And then what he did from then on is part of this coping mechanism, defensive mechanism, a default. What he did was he put his father on a pedestal in order to continue to try and gain approval from him. And as you listen to these ongoing podcasts as an audience, you're going to realize that when we put people on a pedestal, like exactly what Nathaniel said, you'll never be able to actually reach that. They, that person, no matter how much they try, they will never be able to reach that because you've put that person so far on that pedestal that you're always going to be waiting for, well, why can't I just, why can't they just say I'm good enough? So <laughs> when did you go to the Tony Robbins event? Um, it must have been about seven years ago. I, so I've yep. been to about 11 or 12 events of Tony Robbins since. Wow. Um, so I, I did them all as a participant. And then, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I got so much value out of it. I was like, I've got to find a way to keep, can keep involved in this community, but also contribute to others. So I, I started volunteering um, to go and it was really weird. Everyone's like, what, well, would you get paid to do that? What are you doing that for? Like I'm st <laughs> no. stopping my business for a week. I'll go there and, <laughs> and I'll get, I'll get so much out of like, you see everyone arrive and they're all like, you know, they've got body languages down and then yeah. sort of, you're like, Hey, and they don't want to talk to you really. And then where they leave, they're dancing and they're like the transformations that are made during that event. I mean, you know, it's phenomenal. And I, I've never met anybody that's been, that's ever said they didn't have a good experience. Anyone that's ever bagged Tony Robbins, you always ask them, have, have you been to <laughs> one of his events? Have you been to one of his events? They probably haven't. Um, that's right. It, I mean, he's making a huge impact. Yeah, he is. So when you, when you think about that, like if you're, one of the key takeaways that I want all the audience to understand is that everyone has those struggles, adversities and addictions from their past. And yeah. all it's doing, all it's doing, it doesn't matter. I, I talk about it from an addiction point of view, but if you've got struggles and adversity and you're hiding behind something of truly being found out, what it's really doing is it's stopping you from living the freedom that you truly are denying yourself. That is it. Yeah. So if, you, if you're listening, if you're driving in your car right now, you're on the highway, wherever you may be, if you're sitting at the office and you're just like, what are these two guys rattling on about? There's no problems with me. I guarantee that if you sit there for five minutes and there's <laughs> part of you that just goes, hang on a minute, I've, I'm, I'm smoking or you know what? I'm just, I actually love reading books, but I, 
would rather read a book than go out on the weekend. And I'm not saying that reading a book is any different. What I'm saying is, where are you hiding these little addictions or struggles or defense mechanisms from actually creating a life by design? So now I just want to draw yeah. it back to, you know, the age of 10 and you remember you were, you were going between, your mum was going to decide to send you to boarding school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Perth. Yep. You came to Perth? Yep, yeah. cool. So, so obviously in Perth, so that was completely new to you and then you're obviously, you know, this international child. Um, yeah. So you had one sister, <laughs> you said? Yeah, she's two years younger. Um, yeah, she came over when she was 10, so two years later. Two years later she came over. Okay, so now if you go back to 10, what was it like having a sister that was two years younger going through that adolescent period? Well, when I went to boarding school, I was a lot younger than the other kids. I was probably too young looking back. But, you know, my parents saw it as a like an awesome opportunity. It's so exciting. Nathaniel's going to get this massive education. Whereas, you know, like the first two weeks you're in boarding school, the way that they try to get you to adjust to the to being there is you don't talk to your parents at all for two weeks. And, you know, so I was like a lot younger than the other kids. The first night I was there, the, the son, if you're listening, you asshole, the son of the, um, <laughs> health, the health minister of WA beat me up. It was the first time I'd been beaten up. He, um, he comes out, I was unpacking my stuff and he, I put my friends from Hong Kong in the framed picture on my bedside table. And he sort of threw it on the ground. And I said, hey, what are you doing that for? And he just jumped on me and started thumping me. I'll never forget that. I was bullied quite a bit at the start, but it didn't last very long. All it took is one day I had the courage to throw a punch back and then they stopped bullying me after that. But um, <laughs> like, <laughs> but it was quite traumatic at the time. I'm, like, and I, I think I, I, I'm, yeah, it's hard for me now because I'm really grateful for the experience. Like it gave me so much. You know, um, at, at the time it was probably difficult, but it well, was difficult, but I, I grew up a lot quicker. I'm a lot more independent. There's a lot of things that I've mm. done in my life that my friends from school haven't done. Um, that That's, you know, a lot of them sort of have this expectation laid in front of them to get a job, get married, have the kids. Yep. Da, 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 da. Yep. So like, you know, I've lived in, as an adult, I've lived in Thailand, Hong Kong, Chinese, China, I speak Chinese, I speak Thai. Um, wow. I'm 36 years old. I'm not married yet. I don't have children. So I've made a lot of these, I don't know, I've made a lot of different decisions. I think yep. it's got a lot to do with my my um, upbringing. Yeah, for sure. Um, you mentioned something before um, in regards with uh, being bullied and, and so on. If you if you touch base on the bullying part and you said it, it, didn't, it didn't really last long, but like was there any stories you told yourself during that? Was there was there like another story of like, I'm not good enough or why are they picking on me? Is it because I'm young or was there anything like that? Or is it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, massive. Yeah. I just used to keep my head down, try not to get noticed. Yeah. So when, when you were doing that, was there was there like a lot of fear? Did you still compete in things or did you just? Um, like, did you ever let it yeah. hold you back? Yeah. Um, I think I probably conformed a little bit. Like I was really good at tennis yep. and I probably did the opposite. I probably tried to try to gain their approval more. So like all the cool kids played basketball. So I quit tennis and started playing basketball. Yeah. I always, I always regret doing that because I was really good at tennis. Like I was really good for my age group, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really funny. I've had two conversations with, with high performance 
people, yourself and, and um, Tom Waterhouse, and he loved tennis as well. You okay. love tennis. I love tennis. It's, 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 I just love, te- I love tennis as well. Um, who are you going for, by the way, Australian Open? Who do you put? Oh, I, I, to be honest, I don't follow. Like this is oh, the thing you don't follow I it. I didn't stick in it, so I'm oh. not good. At, I'm not good at it now. I was when right. I was ten. <laughs> <laughs> so but at least I can 80s. shoot. I can shoot a few hoops. I'm like, I'm a, I'm like mediocre at most sports. And <laughs> okay, so you're good. Good to be a generalist, right? Um, yeah. So okay, so you switched over to basketball. Who's your? Who's your? You're an '80s kid, so who's your favorite what? team? Oh, I, I don't know if you've seen the Jordan documentary that was released on Netflix recently, but it's awesome, awesome isn't it? It's hard to it go past. It just brings back all the memories, right? Yeah, yeah. Phenomenal. Like, very inspirational for anyone that's looking to achieve anything. But I think, like, growing up, and I think, you know, this would apply to, I don't think any child's immune to this, but seeking approval is a big part of adolescence and, and being a teenager. Um, like, unfortunately, when my sister came to boarding school, you know, she'd she didn't cope that as well with the bullying. Well, I don't know if I coped with it well, but you know, she, yep. so she had to become a day girl and um, I didn't really get into trouble much in school until I was 14 and my parents got divorced. Like it was, it was a good thing. Like they were fighting all the time. Like it was a good thing they were getting divorced, but I just wanted their attention. And I found that the easiest way to do it, cause I was, uh, you know, away from home was to get in trouble. It's yeah. a weird, th- like I didn't probably, I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but when I look back on it, that's ex- exactly what I was doing. This yeah. actually brings up, this actually brings up such a, such a powerful point though, is because when there's lack of, how can I, how can I reframe this so that the audience can stick with me here? When there is a lack of attention of love in the family, that means that it spreads out to everyone else. Because where you how you do one thing is how you do everything. So if there's a lack of love coming from the head of, I'm even going to relate this to business, which I don't want to, but it's going there. When there's a lack of love from the from the business, like there's a lack of love in the family, it doesn't get filtered through, which means then children pick it up. And exactly what you just said just then, right? Because the same thing happened with my parents. They never broke up, but there became this like this like. My mum would talk about it and, and, and mum, if you're listening, I want you to respectively understand that, you know, there was part of them <laughs> that they said, uh, you know, we'll stay together for kids. That was part of them that said that. Now, whether or not, you know, that was their choice. And But when you're saying that, like you then mucked up to then get the attention. And this is what, this is the adversity that I'm talking about that kids can go through now. And yeah. not only that, it's like men now, respectively can still do this in current relationships to get attention. Yeah. But I mean, I, like, I, I don't want it to sound like I'm, you know, that, that they weren't great parents because the reason that I, it didn't go off the rails, you know, is because of them as well. You know, my dad, hundred percent, my mum my and dad both played a role in, in keeping me on track in their own, yeah. in their own way. Um, I, I'm so fortunate to be honest, like, you know, the, to have those parents. Cause like, if I didn't have that, I could see how, it would have easily led to, you know, a whole different life because some of the things that I didn't think were important then they did um, have yes. stood me in good stead. Yeah. Well, that actually brings up another point, and I know that you and I have both touched on this, but I'm just going to ask you a really crazy question that I was asked that, that that put me on the spot, but it was it was very eye opening. Have you ever? I know that you and I both come from a, a place of privilege, which is which is really we're lucky. We, we're really we really are. Have you ever had a, a tipping point in your life or have you always had a point, a, a privilege? That's the first part of the question. And the second part is, 
then what's driving you now to help others? Because some people think that it's a lot harder to actually come from a place of privilege to help others rather than a place of struggle. Yeah. What do you mean by privilege? So what I mean by privilege is you and I both, okay, so I'm just going to set the, set the ground. Let's talk about someone from the Bronx. Like, let's just cap that story of the whole Eminem thing, right? That's yeah. like a place of, that. that's not privilege. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like Eminem, Eminem, um, um, uh, what's his real name? I forgot right now. Let's Marshall. Talk to you, brother. Marshall. Marshall. So, same as Marshall the dog. So he didn't come from a place of privilege at all, right? Lived in well, a trailer park, very blah, very... Yeah, yeah, understood. I understood what you're saying. So, Look, yeah. But I think it's also important to note that, like, you can't really compare one person's problems with the other because there's a, there's a kid that's, like, got a wealthy parents that lives in a good suburb that went to the best school that could be just as miserable... And doesn't feel like they're justified to tell anyone because they've got all these things. I mean, and at the end of the day, it's just how you feel. It's your mind, is your mindset. And that's a hundred percent point behind the story that I was trying to get at. Hmm. Is that when I was asked that question, I said, "Well, it, it doesn't matter what I had, place of privilege, or whether I had a tipping point or or a, a, a real pain point, is because at the end of the day, it was everything that I made it mean." So therefore now trying to help others, if anything, is even a, more of a benefit because it's like I know the addiction, but I also knew what it was like to be privileged with the addiction. And that was that my addiction was about, you know, my father working 12 hours a day, three, three, three weeks in a row shift work. So I would barely see him. I had to be quiet when he was home. I could hardly talk to him. I would see him down the shed and he would tell me what to do, try again, do this, do that. I was always looking for his approval, very much like you. But what that drove me to was this idea of like, oh, well, I'm not getting, I'm not getting attention off him, but he would sit at nighttime and enjoy those movies. So I yeah. was hearing it. Yeah. So then I started listening, like watching it. And that's where it yeah. came from. But... Yeah. When you think about this right now and you go, hang on a minute, this is the point exactly that, we're, that I'm trying to share with the audience yeah. and that is you could be rich and still have the struggle, but you just don't, like you said, you don't want to speak up because of fear of like everyone's yeah. just going to make it's, it. Sometimes it's, it, in some respects it's harder if you come from a privileged background because sometimes you want to hold on to the problem because it's doing so much for you. You're getting all this certainty. You're getting all the significance. Like... If some, sometimes when I speak to people who have have like blame 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 people that are close to them, I obviously love them, um, but but resent them for for not you know for whatever reason. Yeah. You know that, and I say, well, hey, you you could you know have you considered changing your perspective so that you could be mm. grateful and happy? But but they but they don't. It's one thing to like they they could completely um, they could understand exactly how to do that in most of their life but in this area they're like why should i have to do that and i said yeah. well and i could say well because then you'll be happy and they're like no i shouldn't have to do that they should apologize to me yeah <laughs> they don't want to let go of their problem yeah this is that this is you and i both love tony so this whole thing about that leverage when the problem um <clears throat> when the tipping point becomes when, when the when the benefit of change is greater than the fear of staying the same is, yeah. is that's when it's going to leverage. And this is exactly, uh, and I want, to, I want to share with you why this podcast as well, is that because I know that there's a lot of high-performance CEOs and senior executives out there that are living behind some truths 
that they don't want to unearth in fear of like, oh my god, I might be found out. And and this oh, is the whole it. this is the whole idea, right? So what a great way to what a great way to hide your insecurities, have a lot of wealth <laughs> and success and employees. I mean. 100%. And exactly what you said just there is it's like sometimes it's sometimes it's harder because they're just like, I, I don't, well, maybe I don't have to if I just go to another charity event, if I go to another party, if I go yeah. for another another weekend away with like the, the, the corporate team, no one else yeah. is going to know, right? I can yeah. hide it. That's right. So, so, the, so the boarding school, <laughs> when did you, did you go all the way through to year 12 to that? Oh God, I can't believe I'm going to tell you this. I, in year ten, I, I was asked to leave the boarding house. I had to become a day boy. <laughs> yeah. Why? Uh, well, you know, there's when they have the swimming carnival, and you know, all of the uh, the whole school goes to um, support the the you know the, the school and the swimming, and there'd always be there's always be chance, and they'd be run by year twelve students, and here's this year ten student. Me at the front, leading, <laughs> leading the chance, and my housemaster come grabs me and he says, "Come here," and he said, "I can smell alcohol in your breath. Have you been drinking?" And I was like, "Oh, oh. no, <laughs> no." Oh. <laughs> oh, anyway, wow. anyway, so okay, anyway. cool. Okay, so you became a day rat. That's what we used to call them because I was a day rat and we had borders. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so you became a day rat. Um, did you? Did you? Did your parents send you there for a specific reason? By the way. Uh, what to that school yeah no it's, it's actually i felt like it, I, i'm sure it was their decision but it felt at the time like it was my choice like i went there and i was okay. like dad i want to go to this school cool. yeah yeah and I, were I you, great school were they living in hong kong at the time or they were in perth and they sent you there yeah so they're in hong kong when my parents got divorced my mum moved down to perth uh -huh. And, um, you know, like I, I was not planning to go to university. I'd already set up my first business when I was in high school, like uh, yep. setting up multiple businesses. That's what I wanted to do. Dad was doing it. In fact, you know, it, it was a really important thing that dad did. And I, I, I my mum did all of the like day-to-day -day stuff. Like she was, yep. Yep. <laughs> like I, I admire my mum the most. But um, my dad, in year, at the end of year, in year 11, I wanted to go to Japan. And I said, dad, will you? pay for me i hadn't spoken to him since the divorce and i said will you pay for me to go to japan on exchange of studying japanese and he said um i will on one condition you you've got to come up to hong kong and live with me for two months during your summer holidays between year 11 and year 12 and you're going to work for me and um every meeting i go to every tv appearance every seminar you're you you come with me and so in year 11 i was actually failing i was getting like 43 percent or something like that my headmaster, my housemaster, my mum, everyone had told me that I need to repeat year 11 in order to do get into university and, and do TE in year 12. And my dad said, well, what does Nathaniel think? Well, I remember we're all in a meeting. We're all in a meeting about me repeating year wow. 11. And everyone, everyone's going, Nathaniel's got to repeat year 11. Mum's like, no question, he's got to do it. And then finally it gets to my dad and he says, well, what, what does Nathaniel want to do? And I said, well, I as I understand it, it only matters what grades you get in year 12. So who cares what I got in year 11? And my dad said, if, if my son says that he's going to do well in year 12, that's what he's going to do. He's, he's going through. He's not repeating year 11. And, and so, you know, he had my back and that really pumped me up. And then, I, you know, I went and worked with him and like we would go out like I should, shouldn't really drop my dad in it like this. But what the hell? <laughs> like we would go we would go out till 12, two o'clock in the morning, you know, or 17 or 16 or whatever I was. Um, but then he'd wake me up at 7am and say, come on, we're going to the TV studio. 
And so I'd go to every single meeting. We'd be flying around Asia. Uh, I'd listen to his, like what he would say to clients when he was closing deals. Um, and that experience just made me want to achieve more in my studies. So at the year 12, I won an award for best, most improved student. You know, studied, studied um, what I wanted to, business, marketing, Chinese at, at um, university. You know, I, I just like I, I, I wanted the degree, so I passed university. I don't, I wouldn't yeah. say I was a great student, but you know, I started two or three businesses while I was there. Um, you know, a lot of these businesses, by the way, weren't successful. I'm just saying, like I was yeah, you know, yeah. working on these things, um, and then. But this is the thing, right? As soon as I left uni, like my dad was doing property developments in Thailand and he hadn't sold a villa in six months. And I, at the time I was learning about online marketing myself and I was like, um, why don't I come up and help you? So I, I got his website, you know, right to the top of Google. So we, we're getting 10 leads a day. In one high season, we sell 93 properties. This is my first experience out of university. And I just think I'm the man. I'm like, well, this is the first year out of out of university. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, I'm only going to be more successful after this. And then you know, there's a global financial crisis, a tsunami, a military coup, and everything just collapsed. Um, you know, my relationship with dad was obviously like a lot of friction there. And and I, I got um, headhunted by a company in Hong Kong and who heard I can get websites to the top of Google, Google updates algorithm, and dad's website drops down the rankings. <laughs> and so I'm like, shit, what am I going to do here? Like I've been recruited by this company to perform. So I, I, I just thought I've got to learn this Google AdWords stuff. You know, yep. Google ads have just come out. We were getting clicks for 20 cents and I got wow. really good at that, that really quickly in Hong Kong. I wasn't very happy in Hong Kong. Like it was just, oh, yep. yeah, anyway. Um, but I was still seeking to like, why would I go to Hong Kong, right? Other than to impress my dad, because that's where he, you know, he did business, right? Like he wasn't yeah. living there, he was living in Thailand. Um, so it took me a long time to find my feet and and get into, you know, marketing where I'm really, really happy. And and I did it through a lot of frustration and challenges. I think that those those like I guess like taking looking at your shit and going, do you know what? I'm doing this all for approval. And starting out on your own is fucking hard. Like it's really hard. But on the other side of it is is, is this like um, oh, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Just you've, you're a lot calmer. You've you you have a lot more self confidence. You uh, you have a lot more self respect. I think that's like you respect yourself a lot more. And then you 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 forget. You you stop caring what other people think. Like you don't. Like I don't really care what my dad thinks about what I'm doing anymore. But I don't know, in a weird way, he does respect me now. Yeah. But that's the really good part. That, that's the good part. Yeah. Because when the audience, like as the audience is listening to this, right? Yeah. Because we spoke about putting him on a pedestal before and you were trying so hard to, uh, to approve for him. Like you even did this all the way outside of college. So oh, yeah. like all yeah. of this to continue in the background the life, all yeah. the way from, from year, like five years old, even two when you were saying about this red car, like all of this <laughs> stacks on top of each other and just continues. And like you said, you find this little bit of self-respect afterwards because you're kind of like, hang on a minute, I think I just had a breakthrough. What, like why the fuck am I even giving so much of a shit? And you're yeah, exactly what, right because yeah. what's really happening in the world is people are still seeking approval, 40s, 50s, oh, still looking for it, right? And that's sometimes off people that they're sitting next to, right? And we hear it all the time, trying to keep up with the Joneses. No one really gives a shit, but so many people still do it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, you you got to want to you got to want more out of life, I guess. But it's very hard if you're doing that to serve others. You know that if you've got your all your one of the things I often say to business owners is if if you're more concerned with looking successful than being successful, you, you've got a massive problem because you're going to make decisions differently. And I more I think about it, you know, looking successful is like if you're struggling in business and you're more concerned with looking successful, are you going to spend time on appearances or are you going to spend time actually solving the problem? Like it's going to work against you at some point, eventually. Shit, yeah. 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 100%. Nathaniel Bibby, as we wrap this up, is there anything that you would like to share with the audience about yeah. number one, how to find you, or even just to tie in the whole idea of how you now notice how you, uncom- uh, you conquered your uncomfortable? Yeah. Um, so do you mind if I just share a quick story? Please. So thanks. Um, so when I was living in Melbourne and I was working in online marketing, the company that I was working for uh, went into financial trouble. So I, w- I was the best salesperson in the company. I was living in a penthouse in St. Kilda, but I hadn't been paid in three months. Um, and so I was in financial trouble. I was $20,000 in debt. Um, I quit my job that on, on the day that I got an eviction notice for my apartment building uh, because I wasn't getting paid. I quit my job, came home to the apartment, literally found the eviction notice. And, um, and then I was like, okay, how am I going to solve these financial troubles? And it was in my head, I was like, I can't get another sales job because it's going to take too long for me to build up you know, leads and everything um, to solve the financial troubles. So I called my mum. <laughs> What any grown man would do, and she go, and like she's she's awesome. She's amazing. This is one of the best things she ever did to me. She goes, I said, "Mom, I'm in financial trouble." She goes, "You're 28 years old. No, not not going to help you." Uh, called my dad. He had his own troubles going on, so he said, he said no. And so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, "Shit, I'm really on my own here." I didn't know a lot of people in Melbourne, and uh, as I as the sun goes down you you know you just go to turn the lights on and the lights wouldn't turn on so the electricity got Oof. cut out that day as well Oof. and so it's dark apartment now and uh i i don't know if anyone's ever felt, felt like this but i felt extremely helpless i felt like somebody was standing on my throat and just like like i felt so much pressure um but sitting in a dark apartment i was like i've got to do something i've got to do something so i got two extension cables uh plugged them into each other ran them down the stairwell of my apartment building into a a power socket in the stairwell. And the other end of the two extension cables I plugged into a desk lamp. So I had this little light in the middle of a dark apartment on my living room floor. And I got a notebook out and I wrote on the front of it, business plan, BB Consulting Group. And I wrote my business plan that night. The next day I started, um, I hit the phones. The first person I came got through to was a real estate agent. And I said, um, I said, how many real estate agents have you got in your office? And he said, 12. I said, can you get them all to meet me in the conference room this afternoon at four o'clock? And I'm like, after I said it, I was like, this guy's just going to tell me to piss off. And he, he says, yeah, okay, sure. They'll be there. Right. I told him, I said, sorry, I did say one more thing. I said, he goes, why would I do that? And I said, I'm going to convince them to invest in your brand. That's all I said. Didn't say what I was, how I was going to do it. And he said, yeah, okay. So I get there. There was 12 people in the cells waiting for me. And I, I said, look, 
you guys aren't controlling the search results. If I search for John Smith, you're not showing up. So I've got a package, which is a one-page website, a LinkedIn profile, and a Facebook page. You'll have three listings on the first page of the search results when people search for your name. Um, eight, of, eight of them said yes. Six of them gave me their credit card details on the spot. So I made $15,000 by the end of the day. And I was a business. Well, you heard it first, folks. This is, so, this is why I surround myself with this guy. <laughs> so this is the lesson, right? This is the lesson. Your worst day can be your best day if you make that decision. It doesn't have to, you don't have to make the decision on the day, you can make it later, but it's all about perspective. The only reason I grew from my challenges is because I chose to, and you could do the same with it. Anybody can turn any hardship into a strength if they decide to, if you learn from it. Wow. Mate, I haven't heard that story. Yeah, well, best ever. One of the best days of my life. <laughs> yeah, man, by the sounds of it. And now Bibi Consulting is still going. Yeah, 10 years. 10 years <laughs> Good on you, mate. Thank you very much for your time. Now, obviously, people can reach out to you on LinkedIn. Yeah, you're, you can find me anywhere that you'd yep. like to consume content. Um, LinkedIn and YouTube are my two main platforms. So, yeah, Nathaniel Bibi, look me up and um, 